God continues to do. And so as we think about this idea of only Jesus and seeing the Savior in a selfie world, we want to look today, and as we can come back to chapter 8, starting at verse 20, 21, go through verse 36, we see Jesus as the rescuer, all right? So we're going to see him as the rescuer. And we'll get to that passage here in just a few moments. Let me tell you this story. As I, was, I found this story several, uh, several uh, weeks ago, rather, as I was uh, just going through some stuff. And this happened a long time ago. But there, there seems to be at some point there were these warring tribes, these tribes who were at war with each other in the Andes. And one that, there's one tribe that lived in the lowlands, and there was one tribe that lived in the mountains. And it seems that there was a time when the mountain people invaded the lowlanders one day. And as they invaded the lowlanders, they kidnapped a baby of one of the lowlander families and took the infant with them back up into the mountains. Well, the lowlanders, they, they just didn't know how to climb the mountains. They didn't know any of the trails that the mountain people uh, had used, and they didn't know where to find the mountain people or how to track them in the steep terrain that went up into those mountains. And so even knowing that, they still sent out their best party uh, fighting men to climb the mountain and to, to, to capture the baby and bring the baby back home. And so these lowlanders, these men, they tried first one method of climbing, and then they tried another method of climbing, and they tried one trail, and then they tried another trail. But after several days of really putting forth all their effort, they found that they had only climbed just a several, you know, not just a couple hundred feet, not very far at all. And so they were feeling very hopeless and very helpless about the situation. And so the lowlander men decided that the cause of this baby was lost, and so they decided that they would just pre- they would prepare themselves and return back. To the village below. And so as they were gathering their gear together, they'd given up uh, and were going to head back down to the village. They turned and they looked and they saw something at a distance and they looked and there was a person coming toward them and it was the baby's mother walking toward them. And they realized as they saw her walking toward them is that she was coming from up in the mountains, coming down to them. And so, and then they saw something else that as they watched her coming, they realized that not only was she coming down the mountain, but she also had the baby strapped to her back. And so they're thinking, what in the world? How in the world did this woman get up this mountain? So they said, they greeted her and said, you know, we're the strongest, most able men and we couldn't climb this mountain. How did you do this to get up to the mountain and get the baby? How, you know, we couldn't do it. And she said, it wasn't your baby. Mamas go to all kinds of links to rescue their babies. Amen? You see, friends, listen. There's hardly any greater love than the love of a mother except the love of God. Amen? And the love of God who didn't go up a mountain to rescue us but who came down from heaven. Amen? That's the love of God that we know in Jesus. And so what we want to see today is that Jesus is the rescuer, that Jesus is the one who rescues. And so the question as we step into this passage of Scripture today is, have you been rescued? And if so, even still, do you need to be rescued often? And so let's think about that as we come to our passage. Again, John chapter 8, starting verse 21, going through 36. And if you'll stand in honor and reverence to the word of God, 
I'll read that passage for you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to back up just one verse into verse 20 just to give a little more context of what we're reading here and go through verse 36. 20 won't be on the screen, but 21 will. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They didn't understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. And as He spoke these words, many believed in Him. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." And they answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray, Lord, now that you would take this word your precious word, and may you apply it to our hearts and lives as we understand today very clearly and very vividly that you are the rescuer, that you deliver us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would have your way in every heart and every life today. Lord, maybe there, maybe there are people here who need to be rescued today who don't know you as Lord and Savior, but maybe who need to be rescued who do know you, Lord, who need to be rescued from something that's going on in their heart and life. But, Lord, we can understand as we walk away from today that you're the one who is God, who is able, because you are the king, the creator of this universe, and that you still rescue. And so, Lord, may you work in every heart and every life, and we'll give you the honor, glory, and praise. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we see today's outline. I've got three things I want to share with you, and you'll see those uh, in the bulletin if you picked one of those up. If you don't and you have a smartphone, you can download the app, MPBC Life app, and you'll find the outline there under the sermon's link. And so what we find here today is we look at this passage of Scripture as we think about Jesus being the rescuer, is we understand that he first, he rescues from condemnation. That Jesus rescues from condemnation. And then there's another aspect of this that we're going to look at. It's not a place there to write this down, but I'm going to touch on it as we move in this point. Is that he rescues from condemnation, condemnation as we abide in his work. Not our works, but in his work. So he rescues from condemnation as we abide in his work. And so let's look here at this idea that he rescues from condemnation. 
So let's look at verse 21. And Jesus says to these people again, he's talking to them in the treasury of the temple. And he says to them, look, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. These are people who've been out to get Jesus. They're following him around and they're constantly hounding him and looking for ways in which to get him. And so he's saying, look, there's coming a day where where I'm not going to be here. You're going to seek me, but you will die in your sin. And where I'm going, you cannot come. And then if you skip down to verse 24, you see that he says this again. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So three times in just those couple of verses, Jesus says the same thing to them who are listening to him there at the treasury temple, at the temple in the treasury. And that is that you will die in your sins. In other words, you are condemned by your sin. You will die in your sin. Man, how unsettling that would be to hear that from Jesus. Would you agree with that? Amen. That you will die in your sin. And so that means that they were condemned by their sin. He is saying, look, you are sinners because you all sin. You all sin because you're sinners. And because of your sin, you are condemned. And to be condemned, here's what that means. To be condemned means that you will pay the penalty of your own sin and continually be separated from holy God, not only here, but also into eternity. And so he's saying to them that they themselves, because they would die in their sins, they would bear the consequence of their sins, not only on this side of of death, but also throughout all of eternity. And the reason was because they were not abiding or remaining or dwelling in his work. And his work, which we'll see in a moment, is the cross. They weren't abiding in who he is and what he had done. They, they did not believe, truly believe in him. And so, therefore, they were under condemnation. And, beloved, that is still true today, by the way. That those who don't know Jesus Christ and don't believe in what he has done for us on the cross, they are under condemnation. Matter of fact, we learned in just a few weeks ago in John chapter 3. You remember these passages of Scripture. John writes, and he says these words in John three eighteen, that he who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. That he who believes in Jesus is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He has not believed in Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And then John 3, verse 36, we also read that he who believes in the Son, Jesus, has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but rather the wrath of God abides on him. And so because of our sin, because we're sinners who sin, and we are sinners who sin, and sin who are, we sin because we're sinners. Y'all got all that? Y'all with me? Because we sin and we are sinners, we are condemned. And because of our sin, we have to pay the penalty of that sin. Sin is rebellion against holy God. And so the penalty is, is the wrath of God. And so those who don't know Jesus, haven't believed in Jesus, were under condemnation and under the wrath of God. The wrath of God abides on him. At this very moment, those who do not know Jesus, the wrath of God abides on him. They will die in their sin. So apart from believing in Jesus, we are condemned already because we're of this world as, as just as they were separate from holy God. As a matter of fact, he says that in verse 23 that there's a difference 
He said to them, verse 23, you are from beneath, I am from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. There's a difference, there's a separation. As a matter of fact, we know from the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that Paul even deals with this about how we are separate from holy God as people. Apart from Jesus Christ, it says, among whom also we, once, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature, by our very nature, we are children of wrath just as the others. So apart from Jesus Christ and believing in him, we are separate from holy God. And we know that he has the right to tell us this and to tell them that because Jesus is the judge. Amen. He's the one who is the king, and he is the one who is the judge. In verses 25 and 26, they're not quite getting who he is. They say, so who are you? And Jesus said, just what I've been saying to you from the very beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. He is the judge. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 25, 32, we see that the Bible says, all the nations will be gathered before him, that's Jesus, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. You see, here's what you need to understand as we think about being under condemnation is that the Lord knows who are his and those who are not. So those who have trusted Jesus by faith are not under condemnation any longer. But those who refuse to trust Jesus are condemned. Well, pastor, you're talking about this idea of being condemned. I mean, what's the big deal about being condemned? I mean, I feel fine. Everything feels good to me. I mean, I'm paying my bills. I'm here with you today. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal about being condemned? Well, here's the thing about being condemned. To be condemned means that a person who's never trusted Jesus to pay the debt for their sin, that person is headed for hell to pay the eternal penalty for their own sin. They must pay the consequences. They must pay the debt for their own sin. That's what it means to be condemned. You see, and once a person dies who's, who's never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they enter into a real place called hell. And in this real place called hell, they will pay for their sin for all of eternity. And once you die, there's no crossing over from hell to heaven. There's no second chance at the grave. There's an infinite chasm between these two different worlds. So apart from Jesus, understand this, that man is condemned. But Jesus, now here's the good news. Where man is condemned, what we understand is that Jesus is the rescuer from our condemnation. You see, he's the one, apart from Jesus, we are condemned and we're headed for hell. But Jesus loves you, loves me, and he came and he has rescued us from our condemnation. And he rescues us as we abide in his work and what he did for us. And his work is the cross, what he did for us on the cross. Not our own works. We can't can't work our way into being not condemned. No, the work has already been done at the cross of Calvary. Amen? And so we abide in his work, what he has done. So we abide or we rest in who he is and what he has done. In verse 24, we see this again. Jesus says, therefore I said to you, that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In the English Standard Version, I think it's a little bit better, we hear hear the word of hope here. And the word of hope in the English Standard Version says it this way, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am, for you'll die in your sins. Unless you believe. 
So there's a word of Jesus is speaking to these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, these people who he's saying you're going to die in your sins. But he says, unless you believe, there's still hope for them. And beloved, if you still have breath in your body and you've never trusted Jesus today, he's given you that hope today. Unless you believe. Amen? Unless you believe, you will die in your sin. Unless you believe that he is the I am. So that's who he is. Who is he? They couldn't quite, quite comprehend who he is. They, that's what they says. Who are you? But in verse 24, again, he says, believe that I am he. And the word I am there, I am he, he, as you see, is in italics, which means in most manuscripts is not there. And so he says, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. The I am is the ego I me, where Jesus says He is the I am, meaning that he has equated himself with God. Unless you believe that I am God, that I am he, you will die in your sins. So we understand that he is the great I am. Amen? He is the Son of God who would go to the cross for us. And he deals with that even in verse 28 when he says, When you lift up the Son of Man, whenever Jesus talks about him being lifted up, he is talking about the cross. And as you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. There it is again. That I am God, that I'm the Son of God, that I'm the one, that I am the eternal God, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. You see, what he's saying here is that the cross is the remedy for our condemnation. And we must abide in that work, what he has done, believing in him by faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it tells us, for without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So apart from Jesus and abiding and remaining and resting in his work, we are condemned and we die in our sins. But Jesus is the rescuer of condemnation. Now, here's what you need to hear today. Now, I know that this is going to really excite you and bless your socks off today, all right? And this is what you need to know, is that you are going to die. Now, I tell you, doesn't that bless your socks off today? That's, what all, that's just what you wanted to hear today, right? Pastor says you're going to die. But we're all going to die. Amen? I mean, that's part of living. No matter how many uh, supplements we, we take, no matter how many hands full of vitamins we're going to take every day, no matter how many times we go to the gym, and these things are important, don't get me wrong, but no matter what, ultimately, all of us, unless the Lord comes back first, all of us are going to die. Now, here's, here's what else we need to know is that when we die, we're going to die one of two ways. Y'all tracking? Y'all with me? One of two ways. We will either die in our sins, or we will die in faith. One or the other. You will either die in faith or in your sin. There's just two ways of dying. And you understand and you listen to how people have passed away in the past and you understand those who have died in faith and those who have died in their sins. You think about unbelievers, some unbelievers, some famous people, who their last words before they passed away. And we think about, you know, how they died and those who are dying in their sins. There was a, evidently there was a queen, Elizabeth I. And when she died, she said, all my possessions for one moment of time. She had placed all of her faith in her possessions, and now she was at the end of her life, and she was willing to give it all away just so she could have one more moment in time, dying as an unbeliever. A man by the name of Cardinal Borgia said this, also an unbeliever apparently, says, I provided in the course of my life for everything 
except death. And now, alas, I am to die unprepared. Wow. Unbelievers who are not ready for death. But then you take that and and you flip that. And for those who, who are unbelievers, and think about those who died who are believers. Those who died in faith, believing in Jesus. We think about the great hymn writer, Isaac Watts. The one who wrote songs like, When I survey the wondrous cross. He also wrote, I sing the mighty power of God. He's also the one who wrote, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And on his deathbed, he said this, It is a great mercy that I have no manner of fear or dread of death. I could, if God please, lay my head back and die without terror this afternoon. And David Livingston, that great missionary to Africa, on his deathbed, he said, Build me a hut to die in. I am going home. Beloved, let me tell you, there's a huge difference from dying in our sin and dying in faith. Amen? And we're going to die in one of those two ways. And if you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, then you will die in faith. There is no fear in death for us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is no terror of what is beyond because we know in who we have believed. Amen? And we know that Jesus has rescued us from condemnation as we abide in his work on the cross of Calvary. He took the penalty that we deserve upon himself, and now we rest in what he did for us at the cross. So he rescues from condemnation. And then secondly, he rescues from counterfeit. And that doesn't quite fit grammatically, so you may want to put a word in the middle of that. He rescues from being counterfeit. And sort of the the next line that that I'm going to be talking about, but it's not on your form there, is that he rescues from counterfeit as we abide in his word. Not our own word, in his word. And so let's look at verse 30 here as we continue through this passage of Scripture. And it says in verse 30, as he spoke these words, Jesus speaking to these people, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Many believed in him, it says. But then as you read through these next verses and then you go to the rest of the chapter, we see that the the people, the audience that Jesus is talking to never changes. And so these are the same people here that he's talking to throughout the entirety of the rest of chapter 8. And we come to the end of chapter 8, even in verse 59, where it says that these same people took up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and they passed by. Right after he says, you know, that he's the I am. And so we know that these people may have said, watch this, they may have said that they believed, but it was counterfeit. Okay? Y'all with me? They may have said that they believed, but it was counterfeit. So their counterfeitness, if you will, it was a lie. They were living a lie. There's a lie that was straight from the pits of hell. Their belief was superficial. They were living not in truth, but they were living in falsehood. And so they were also in need of being rescued from such a counterfeit life and a counterfeit hope. And so Jesus says in verse 31 and 32 to the Jews who believed him, it says that if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He speaks this to these people who are living a lie. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free if you abide in my word. You see, they said that they believed, but it was an outward belief only. In other words, they professed, but they didn't possess. Got it? Amen? They professed, but they didn't possess. 
The outside of the cup looked clean, but the inside was dirty. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever seen a, a cup, maybe it had been sitting on the counter for a couple of days, and, and it looks clean, so you ain't been worried about it? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You go over to the cup, you know, it's got a lid on it. You go over to the cup, and, and man, I'd probably put that, check it, make sure it needs to see if it goes in the dishwasher. But it's sitting there for a couple of days. You go, it looks clean on the outside, it looks great, and you pull the top, it's, whoa, have mercy. Somebody left some milk down in there. <laughs> Looked great on the outside, but on the inside, Man, it is smelly, and it is spoiled, and it is rotten. Amen? Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's happened in your house, too, probably. And so that's what we see here. The outside of the cup looked clean, but the inside was dirty. So Jesus deals with this kind of thought process and this kind of people in Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28, where he says these words, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. He says, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, and then then the outside of them may be clean also. Then he goes further in verse 27. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're all full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, these people had, were living a counterfeit life. They said that they believed, but maybe they just believed with their minds. There are too many today who say they believe, but they're just believing with their minds. Amen? Beloved, so that's the question for you today. Are you living a counterfeit life? Do you just believe with your mind? Are you believing with your mind? And not with your heart, not with your hands to serve, not with your feet to go, not with your money to give, not with all of who you are. Is it just a belief of just the mind? You see, they didn't really know the truth, the big capital T truth, Jesus, or the truth about him. But rather, they'd been trusting in their own truth, the truth that they had made up themselves, that they felt like they were okay because of their regulations and their traditions. That was their truth. They made up their own truth, and it was not the real truth. They were living a lie. And how many are like that today? Everything seems to be in order on the outside, but on the inside we're rebelling. There's the appearance, the appearance that was, as we look is one of godliness, but the inside is wickedness. The exterior is light, but the interior is dark. The surface is clean, but the heart is filthy. And the shell that we have says, I'm true, but the inside says counterfeit and fake and forgery. And so we lie to ourselves. Now, here's the good news. Jesus is the rescuer and rescues from being counterfeit. As we abide in his word, the Bible says, as we abide in his word, we're, you're my disciples indeed as you abide in his word. Now, here's the thing that what you need to remember is that throughout the gospel of John, we've seen and we'll continue to see that the word believe, it happens over and over and over. It's a big theme in the gospel of John. But another big word is the word abide. And he says that here. And so the word abide means to be at home in, to dwell in to remain in, to be at home. And I think about, you know, you, you come and you're at rest and you're secure and you're in this place of, of, of remaining here. And Jesus said, look, you're my disciples. If you abide, remain in my word. So this remaining in his word is seeing, watch this, is seeing the truth of scripture 
through the lens of the capital T truth, Jesus, who sets us free from this counterfeit life. And as true disciples, watch now, as true disciples, we will seek to live our lives according to the truth of Scripture as we see it through the lens of the truth, Jesus. That's what we want to do as believers and as disciples. Because we're going to, as we hold ourselves up to the Scripture, we're going to see ourselves for who we really are and who He is, who He really is. Amen? And as we do that and we're going to live according to the truth of His Word, then as we see that, we're going to want to live more like Jesus. And we're going to be more in love with Jesus. And we're going to serve like Jesus. And we're going to worship Jesus. And we're going to tell others about Jesus. And we're going to obey Jesus. And we're going to be humble like Jesus. And we're going to sacrificially love each other unconditionally like Jesus. And we're going to sacrificially give like Jesus. And we're going to be sold out to Jesus. Why? Because we see him and who he is and what he has done. And we know that he has set us free. That he has rescued us. Amen. And he continues to rescue us. To live the life of faithfully faithfully following him. He says you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It will make you free. You see, living for Jesus, living like Jesus, abiding in the word of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, because of the work of the cross of Jesus, that is freedom. That's real freedom. And so he rescues from condemnation as we abide in his work, and he rescues from counterfeit as we abide in his word. And then third and finally, he rescues from captivity as we abide in his worship. He rescues from captivity as we abide in his worship, as we abide in his presence. Let's look at verse 33, now to the end of verse 36. They answered and said, you know, he just says, the truth shall make you free. He says, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you should be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in a house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you should be free indeed. And so we've seen here the truth shall make you free and the son makes you free, but free from what? The captivity, what is the freedom from? Well, we've already seen that they are condemned and so Jesus rescues them from the penalty of sin and that they're counterfeit and they live in a lie and Jesus rescues from the deceitfulness of sin and now we see that they're held captive to their sin and to their fleshly nature, but Jesus rescues from the power of sin, amen? That's who he is, and that's what he does. And so we see, and Paul wrote in Romans 6, verse 16 through 18, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin that leads to death, or obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And so what we know is that what we see here and what we understand in our own hearts and lives is that Jesus is the one who rescues us from the captivity of sin. And sin is so wicked. It's so apart from God, away from God. It's rebellion against God. It's disobedience. And sin has a way. Listen now. Sin has a way of enslaving us. Sin has a way of controlling us. Sin has a way of dominating us and dictating our actions. 
What sin does is it manifests itself in self-centeredness. We feel so good about ourselves, but it's also rebelliousness and possessiveness and a dysfunctional love and addictive behaviors. That's what sin is and what it does. Someone has said and compared it this way, that sin may begin as a spider's thread, but finally it becomes like a ship's rope. And there's a huge difference there, isn't it? We think it's no big deal, it's just a spider's thread, but pretty soon it becomes very heavy and weighty and can really entangle us and tie us up like a ship's rope. Another one has said, at the beginning sin is like a guest, but later it will become the ruler of the household. That's what sin does. It captures us, it enslaves us. But here's what you need to know, that Jesus rescues us from the power of sin. We do not have to keep sinning when we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. You have the power through the resurrection power of Jesus to say no to sin, to overcome sin. But then there's another part of that too, is that's the captivity of not only the sin, how sin captures us, but sometimes our fleshly nature can capture us as well. Now we remember that these are not true believers. Jesus has spoken about rescuing them from the bondage of sin's penalty, but also I think this applies to how he rescues from the bondage of sin's power. And even as believers, sometimes our sinful fleshly nature rears its ugly head, and it's too often, and it comes to the forefront of who we are and how we think and all that we do and who we are, who we be, who we are during that time. And so, so we have to be very careful about how our fleshly nature can hold us hostage, if you will. Now, I'm sure that there's nobody here like this, but if you were to think about what that would look like in the flesh and nature, here's just a a few little ideas. But again, nobody like is here would do this, I'm sure. But like when we gripe or complain or murmur, I mean, that is the old fleshly nature that's bubbling up. Y'all with me? Come on now. When we worry and fret, and are anxious about things. I mean, that's the old fleshly nature that's, that's rearing its ugly head. When we're apathetic, not caring about the things of the Lord. I mean, that's the old flesh, again, that's sticking its nose in, the, in things. And when we go through the valleys and we face difficulties and we wonder, where is God in all this? And we almost raise our fist against him. I mean, that is the flesh that is rearing its ugly head. And, and here's the other thing. When our desires for the world, now listen, when our desires for the world are greater than our delight in Jesus, that is the flesh, the natural, sinful, earthly flesh. And we think about what Paul said, you know, in the book of Romans, and he, he, and he talked about, you know, that war that was between the, the nature, the sinful nature, and our, and, and our fleshly nature, and the spirit who are at war together. And Paul writes about that. And then in chapter 7, verse 24, 25, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, aren't you glad that it doesn't stop right there because he answers the question in verse 25 when he says, I thank God it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who delivers us from the captivity of sin. He's the one who delivers us from the captivity of our natural flesh. He rescues us from this captivity as we abide in his 
worship, as we abide in his presence. And here's what you need to understand here about this, is that as believers in Jesus Christ, because of the cross of Calvary, as disciples of the Lord, Jesus went to the cross, his blood made the way for us to have access to our creator. We are constantly in the presence. We are behind the holy of holies. We're in the presence of our king, our creator, all the time. Now, we forget that sometimes, but as we remember that, boy, that helps us to overcome the power of sin and overcome the power of the flesh that that too often bubbles up. It tells us here in this verse 35, it says that as a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. If the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. So the idea is that a slave doesn't abide in the master's house, but rather the son abides in his father's house. And so the son of the master would remain in his house, and he is free where a slave is not free. And so, beloved, understand this, that when we know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our lives, we are sons and daughters who dwell in the house of God. We are sons and daughters who dwell in the presence of God. We abide in the Father's house. We abide in his presence. And our delight, listen, Our delight is and shall always be in Jesus and not the things of this world. You know, I cannot help but to remember the passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 16, reminded of Paul and Silas who are in prison, who are going through great anxiety, even great agony for their faithfulness to the Lord. And we see some things here about them I think that we can learn from Paul and Silas. And, and here in this passage in Acts 16, you know that these guys were arrested after God had used them uh, to deliver a slave girl who was demon-possessed and was doing some divining and whatever. And so it tells us, we pick up in verse 20. You can go back and read the first part of that chapter. We'll pick up in verse 20, and it says, And they brought them, that's Paul and Silas, to the magistrates. And they said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. And so then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them, Paul and Silas, to be beaten with rods. And verse 23, it says, And when they had laid many stripes on them, meaning they beat them half to death because of what they have done, they then threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas, who had just been beaten half to death, who got their feet in the stocks and they're in the inner prison, well, they, it says here that they were murmuring and crying and, and belly aching about all that they're facing. That's not what it says, is it? Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas, watch this, they were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. But wouldn't you have loved to have been there? And the keeper of the prison, awaking for sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice and said, Do yourself no harm. We're all here. And so he called for a light, he ran in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. You see, friends, listen. It would have been easy for Paul and Silas to be 
caught up in their fleshly nature and, and cry out, woe is me. It's not fair what I'm dealing with in life right now. I've done all this for the Lord, and look what's happening to me. Oh, I'm so, and, then they, and worrying about all the things that, uh, that they're having to deal with, with their aches and their pains. But what do we find them doing? Praying and singing praise to God because they remembered that they are children of the King and that they are in His presence and that, that God is greater than anything they have to endure. That which is yet to come for them is a greater reward than anything that they have to endure on this side of glory. Amen? And so because of that, they knew that sin has no hold on them, that the flesh no longer has a, a captures them. Because Why? Because they know Jesus, the one who has rescued them. What can man do to me? I have the Lord. What do I need to fear? I know Jesus. You, you think you're going to get me because you're going to kill me? Well, go ahead because I'm going to be in his presence where I will see him face to face for all of eternity. Amen? I mean, so when we think about how we worship him, the devil can't keep us in, in captivity. Jesus has rescued us from that. Amen? God is greater. He's greater than all things. You know, when I was in school, I did okay in math, but not the greatest thing in math. But one of the things I caught pretty quickly was the greater than and less than sign. Y'all remember those things? They still use those, by the way. But I, 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 remember, I can remember those really well because less than, if you look at it this way, see like this, that's the less than sign. If you do like this, it's an L. Less than, see, like that. I just blew some of y'all's mind, right? <laughs> So I can remember that. So I know the opposite is greater than. So I may not have been the greatest in all the math, but I could figure out what was greater than something else, right? But do you know that if the greater sign is this way and you put God here, you can put anything else over here in this equation, and it's always going to be the same. God is greater than anything. Amen? You put anything you want to in that line. Not going to make it incorrect. God is still greater, right? So God is greater than the problems you face. God is greater than the relationships you're struggling with. God is greater with the problems that you're facing. God is greater than whatever you want to put right there. God is greater than anything and everything. Amen? Amen. And if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're a disciple of his, then he is your king. And you are his child, and you are able to worship him. And that keeps our mind focused. So we don't have to give in to sin. We don't have to give in to the flesh. But we simply come to him and worship. Amen? Y'all with me this morning? Two things to do, and we'll be done, all right? Now, I was gone last week, and I heard Joe gave you a to-do. Praise God, man. Good, good stuff, brother. And by the way, the church I was at down in Southwest Virginia, Fancy Gap, I gave them an assignment down there too. They're probably still talking about it today, but the pastor gave them an assignment. But I'm going to give you two again today, all right? First one you may have already done. You may already be ahead of the ballgame here. And so that's great. But if not, here's the first one. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord as Savior of your life, then understand, you need to understand 
that you are under condemnation because of your sin. And we're all sinners, right? So that you need to trust him by faith to be rescued from that condemnation. Otherwise, you will die in your sin. But if you trust him by faith, repenting of your sin, turning your heart to Christ, trusting him by faith, believing he's the son of God who died for you, rose again, he's the Lord of your life, you're sold out to him, okay? Trusting him by faith. He has rescued you from condemnation. He took the penalty that you deserved, the wrath of God that you were under, he took upon himself. He absorbed the wrath of God that you deserved. When you trust him by faith, it's applied to you. Amen? So trust Jesus. If you've never done that, trust him today. And then secondly, maybe you've already trusted in Jesus. Here's the second thing. You need to worship him. Worship him. Hey, listen. No matter what you're going through right now, you worship Jesus. You worship him. Maybe you're in the midnight of a jail cell of life. It may be hard for you to begin, but you just start. And you sing praises to the Lord. If you say, well, I can't sing. Hey, well, you speak praises to him. Amen. You begin to worship him because he is who he says he is, who has rescued you from condemnation, who rescues you from being counterfeit, who rescues you from captivity. You worship him who is worthy to be worshipped. Amen. Worship him. And if you're struggling with sin, realize that you are consistently, constantly in his presence. And so ask him to rescue you from that captivity to that sin. And you continue to worship him and remain in his word, abiding in his word, knowing his truth. Not living a lie, but living the truth. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may you have your way in our hearts and our lives today. Lord, as we come to this invitation, Lord, we yield to you completely. We know that you're the one who has rescued us. God, how we praise you and thank you for the the, the glory of Jesus who went to the cross for us, rescuing us from that the condemnation that we so desperately deserve. But you loved us inexhaustibly and took the wrath that we deserved. So, Lord, if there are those here today who've never trusted you by faith, may this be that hour where people give their hearts to you. But also, Father, we pray for those of us who do know you, who recognize that we have been rescued. Lord, but we are so prone to the self. We're so prone to the flesh. We're so prone to this world's sinful ways. God, help us to turn our focus away from the desires of this world and may our delight be in you and you alone. And God, as we worship you with our words and worship you with our lives, may, we be, may the chains that have already been broken become real to us, that we know that we have been rescued from that captivity. and We no longer have to live in sin, no longer have to live in captivity to the flesh but to yield our very hearts and lives to you as your people. So God, let us walk away from here today trusting you by faith. Lord, if the, as we come to this invitation, there are those who just need to come and kneel here at the steps and just say, yield their hearts and say, Lord, you know what I've been dealing with, it, with and, and I just surrender to you today because you're the king and I worship you because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, you are greater Thank you for the reminder that you are greater than everything and anything that I'll ever face. 
that I can trust you, that you have rescued me. Lord, maybe there's some here today who who are struggling with some sin or some fleshly issue, and and you just need to be rescued from that. Would you call out to him today and say, Lord, would you just rescue me from this? Let my eyes be turned toward you, and may I abide in your word. Lord, whatever it is that you're dealing with our hearts about today, maybe it's a recommitment, maybe it's a commitment to being your servant forever, to say, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I want to be your minister, I want to be your evangelist, I want to be your chaplain, but I want to be a full-time vocational minister, missionary. We'll surrender that to you today. But Lord, whatever it is, Father, may we come to you knowing that you are the one who has rescued us and given us hope. Let us live in that, we pray. And the Lord be with all that are decisions that are to be made for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.